0: can't help but when i see that video tear up it messes me up because when i gave my heart to jesus a long time ago a lot of the activity around church was good but that isn't what brought me to christ see when i came to jesus a long time ago i was broken And as we say in West Texas, I needed a fixin'. I was messed up. And so I started searching. The beauty of it is is that Jesus had already been, had sent people to come be what the Bible calls fishers of men. So people had already been casting little lures out. And I used to fish a lot, and I, I still would. I haven't done it in a long time, but it's one of those things I still have dreams about landing the big one. You know, having a big outing, you know, catching a big old largemouth bass, and and somewhat people had just over the years had been tossing out bait, different kinds of bait, but it was all fishing, fishing, fishing. And so, when finally, like a bass, I grabbed hold of that topwater lure. And I was caught by Christ, by the love of Christ. When I started going to church, let me tell you how I walked into church. I did not walk into church going, well, I hope this music's my kind of music. I didn't walk into church going, well, I hope they dress like me. Because if they don't, I'm going somewhere else. I came into church not, not, not caring whether the preacher wore jeans or a tie or a suit or whether he was 70 years old or 25 I did not care. Here's what I needed. I had been introduced to Jesus and now I needed to be trained. I needed to be equipped. I needed people and I didn't care who, didn't care how old they were, what they looked like. Preferences were off the table for me. I needed somebody To make me a disciple, I needed somebody who would take some time and spin with me and help me along. In a sense, show me the ropes. I was in Lubbock, Texas, baby, baby Christian, clueless, loved God, but clueless, which is a lot of folk. They love Jesus, but they've never taken the next step into learning about him and his ways. And so a young man by the name of Steve Gardner took me under his wing. Now, Steve wasn't all that in a bag of chips. He had graduated from uh, Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, had come back to Lubbock. And he was full of knowledge and information and had just graduated from Liberty and and and. I approached him and said, and, and, and the thing about, see, he was lame in one of his legs. He he had a limp. I mean, he was not the kind of person you just pursue, but I saw something in him. I saw that he knew Jesus. He knew the ropes, and I needed somebody to show me those ropes. And so I pursued Steve Gardner. I remember standing in a hallway at, at Bacon Heights Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas, and I said, Would you? Would you take some time? Could, it, could I spend some time with you? I need help. I love God. I, I, I'm praying. I don't know if I'm doing it right, but I'm doing it. I'm reading the Bible. I don't even know if I'm reading the right version. There's like 7,000 of them out there. My Bible was that thick, padded, green living Bible. Anybody remember those? Big pillow cover. So I I didn't. So I said, I just need help because I don't know what I'm doing. You know what wisdom does? Wisdom seeks out those wiser than itself. And those who desire wisdom know that they're going to have to go find people who've already done it. And I'm not talking perfectly either. I didn't know if he was perfect. I didn't know him from hardly anybody. I just knew he had graduated from a Bible college. That was all I needed to know. I knew he was ahead of the curve concerning me. You know what he did? He took me under his wing, me and a couple other guys. And every Wednesday night after church, we go over to his little duplex over at Tech Terrace. In Lubbock, Texas, and for an hour and a half, two hours, sit and talk about Jesus, about the kingdom, about what it means and what it looks like to share your faith, about what it looks like to forgive somebody. We talked about grace. We talked about love. We talked about the things of God. between those little small group meetings. We were doing cell group before cell group was cool. We were doing life groups before there was a name for it. What we were was just a group of young disciples who found somebody a little smarter than us, a little more experienced than us, and we were sitting at his feet. And through that process, I became a disciple. Everybody okay? Nobody stuck their finger in a wall outlet over here, did they? Okay. <laughs> I don't see any permanents that weren't here a minute ago, so we're look okay. Looking along the walls. We'll go check on the kiddos. We've been talking for several weeks. A series called I Am. Very simple. And the idea here is this. I am... And then we filled in the blank. The first week we talked about we're a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a what? A new what? Creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Second week we talked about being a masterpiece and what it looks like to be a masterpiece. A work of art. Pastor Rich brought that word. Awesome. That we are a work of art. God is working on something. We are his workmanship. Then we talked about being overcomers and what it looks like to win in this life. That that's our identity. It's not who we hope to become. It's who we already are. And that the fight that we fight, look at me, everyone. The fight we fight is not from the standpoint of I hope I win. It's from the standpoint of we've already won. We fight from the point of victory. We're already there. We don't fight for freedom, we fight from freedom. We don't fight for victory, victory, we fight from victory. That's who we are. Then last week we talked about being salt and light. In fact, God has launched us into the world to be salt and light. Now, today we're talking about this. I am a disciple. I am a disciple. Jesus interesting enough, Jesus was known by Gentiles, by Roman citizens, and by Jews in his village or his community as a rabbi. Rabbi is a term that the Jewish tradition, it was was an individual, a male in the Jewish tradition, who had wisdom, and and the community in which these individuals lived would recognize the wisdom that was on their life. There were different kinds of rabbis. There were rabbis who would simply teach the Torah, that is the Torah, that's that's the, the those first books of the Bible, and they literally would memorize those books of the Bible, and they would tell the stories and tell of the traditions and, and hold up the law of the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, and they would tell and they would teach. And these rabbis, typically in the Jewish tradition, what would happen is, is you would have somebody who the community recognized as a rabbi. Let's say Jack's a rabbi. So we have Rabbi Jack. Now, here's the thing about a rabbi in that tradition, the rabbinic tradition. Rabbi Jack would not go and start handpicking people for for his little group. No, what would happen was when you turn around 14, 13, 14, 15, you knew who the rabbis were in the community, and you would begin to solicit them. You would watch their life. And what you would do is you would find the rabbi whose life you wanted yours to look like, who you wanted to imitate, who you wanted to emulate, and you would would latch onto them, and then you would watch them for a season, and then you would approach them and when you got, got to it, you would actually submit yourself to them and say, you know, Rabbi Jack, I would like to be a disciple of yours. Do I have permission to follow you? He's going to have to think about it. So, and, and often as the case, sometimes they wouldn't. They'd say no. And so what would happen is, is these young students, if you will, disciples, would pick their rabbi, pursue their rabbi, petition their rabbi, and then they would become a disciple of that rabbi. And in that tradition, they would begin to grow. Jesus was a rabbi. Two types of rabbis that were typically recognized. One of the rabbis was just like I mentioned, and they were very typical in that they simply taught the Torah. They taught the the books of the law. They taught the traditions, and they stuck to the letter of the law. There was another kind of rabbi who had a grace and people around them recognized that there was a grace on them for actually interpreting the scriptures. And so they would not only teach the law, but they would actually have the author, the authority, the authorization and the recognition of their peers to literally interpret that law as well. They they were able to add to Jesus was one such rabbi. Jesus was a rabbi in the rabbinic tradition. However, we all know Jesus marched to the beat of a different drum. Amen? The difference with Jesus compared to other rabbis is that Jesus broke protocol on several occasions. In fact, in the very most primary issue, Jesus broke protocol. Because what Jesus did was he chose his own disciples. Jesus approached individuals, which is completely backwards from their tradition, completely upside down from their culture. How many of y'all know Jesus turned culture upside down often? And he approached them one by one, sometimes in a group. There's several there. And he approached them and said things like, Come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. In fact, I want to show you that scripture in Matthew, chapter 4, verse 18. Matthew, chapter 4. Are we up, Randall? You good? Awesome. Matthew, chapter 4, verse 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. We all know the Sea of Galilee is a lake. It's an inland an inland sea, but it's really a lake. And it's in, it's in a beautiful region up in the northern end of the nation. And it says, he saw two brothers, Simon Peter. And his brother Andrew. So you got Peter and Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were what? They were fishermen. So they were simply doing what they did. They were not looking for a rabbi, they were working. By the way, they were probably around 14 or 15 years of age. Some of the pictures I see of Jesus' disciples, they all look like they're 40 something. These guys were young, they were teenagers. They were simply doing what their dad had taught them to do. They were plying their trade, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, And his brother John, these are the sons of thunder, James and John. They were in a boat with their father, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him with the same connotation I will make you what? Fishers of men. Today we're going to talk about this fact that I am a disciple. I am a follower of Jesus. Max Lucado told a story once and I'm going to share it here. I've shared it before. You've heard me say it before, but this is a story that bears repeating. And so I want to share it with you. As many of you know, Max Lucado pastors in the in the San Antonio area or was. He's now kind of the pastor emeritus there at his church that he that he grew there in Bernie, Texas. And uh, amazing man, amazing, prolific author. And he said that he and an old friend of his and his dad, his childhood friend, they were all going to go down to the coast to go fishing because they loved to fish. And they were actually going to pull a little, little fifth-wheel rig down there and, and basically stay out on the beach, fish all day for a week, and then come in and play cards and eat ice cream at night just chill out, have a great time like old times, like they did when they were young. So they drive down, didn't check their weather reports, and find out as they're getting closer to the coastline that it's looking kind of stormy. And they get down there, set up camp on the beach, excited to do their fishing. And the, the clouds, the heavens break open, and it just starts a downpour. They're thinking, no big deal. We'll get up tomorrow. So they hung out in the trailer because they couldn't do anything else. They were grounded. They were stuck. And so they played cards and dominoes and told stories of how they grew up together and had a great time. They laughed and went down memory, memory lane and just remembered the good times, fun times. they just waxing nostalgic. They're having a great time. They get up the next morning. It's still raining. Well, okay, all right, we'll we'll make a day of it. They cook some food. They they have a good time. It's not too bad the second day. They're thinking, no big deal. This thing's surely going to break. Third day, they get up, still pouring rain on the coast. Now they're getting a little frustrated. They came with one purpose, and that purpose was to catch fish. These are fishermen who are not fishing after three days. Fishermen who don't get to fish after three days begin to grow frustrated. Fourth day comes around, pouring rain, can't go fishing. Fifth day, they're really getting frustrated now. Now they're starting to bicker. Now they're starting to remember what they didn't like about each other growing up. At first, it was all good because our memories are selective. Oh, we remember the good times, you know, as we should. But after five days of telling stories, they're beginning to remember stuff. Max says he remembers how bad his father's feet smelled in that little camper. Remembered how his friend got on his nerves with certain habits and stuff that he thought would have long passed as a kid. Now he's an adult and he's still doing them. By the fifth day, they're starting to fight. They're frustrated. They're fighting because their purpose has been thwarted. He tells that story, and then he makes this segue. Fishermen who don't fish fight. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men me say it again. Fishermen who don't fish fight. You could make other conclusions. Fishermen who aren't fishing are complaining. Fishermen who don't fish gossip. Fishermen who don't fish get frustrated. Fishermen who don't fish camp out on their preferences. Fishermen who don't fish grow critical when we are not doing what we are purposed to do as disciples. And Jesus made it real clear in Matthew chapter 28 what we're supposed to do. So let's go to Matthew 28, verse 18. Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them, realized this is at the end of his life, and he's giving basically a mandate. He's giving them their mission, their commission, if you will. He's commissioning them to do something and basically saying, this is how important this is. Right before I leave you, I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to come back. We're going to take care of some business. I'm going to give you the power to do it later. But right now, I'm going to give you the assignment. These are our orders, so to speak. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth, hold this, Randall, don't go yet. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who has the authority been given to? Jesus. We've been given authority in certain realms over the kingdom. But look at me, we have not been given authority over one another. Where discipleship gets weird is when one who is the discipler has a disciple, and the discipler starts to wield unauthorized authority. And when that relationship gets tainted, Things go really bad, and then when you when you hear things like, "Oh my gosh, that guy, he had people mowing his lawn, he had people washing his car, he had people, I mean, getting his dry cleaning and all this crazy stuff," and you hear about things like that or worse, and those things can cause us to back away and say, "Oh, if that's what discipleship is, we need to kind of stay away from that." So, because we don't want to get anybody to get on an authority trip. Let me tell you something. The authority is Jesus. It's his authority. We've been given authority over devils, but not over each other. Come on, somebody. Been given authority over all the power of the enemy, but not over each other. Am I clear? So he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Let's keep going. Here it is. Therefore, go. In the video that we just saw, what if church looked a little more like this? And instead of everybody just coming together and staying in church and us discipling disciples and continuing to disciple one one another for the next two decades, we actually went outside the church. The first issue was love. The second issue was liberate. What do we do? We set people free with the gospel. See, here's the thing. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Make disciples of all nations. And here's what you do with that. Keep going, Randall and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. says Jesus speaking. Surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Let me tell you something. You cannot have discipleship unless we are winning people to Jesus, unless we are touching nonbelievers. If we think that discipleship is just what we do here, then when you split the Siamese twin of evangelism and discipleship, you kill them both. Listen to me. Hear this. We cannot just be about being in this building. We need to be in this building. We need to celebrate what we do here and enjoy these moments. But this isn't all of church. This is one element of many elements and components. I love what Rick Warren said. He was being interviewed. And listen to this. This is such an awesome quote. He was asked. He was asked about what people should do. You know, if, if how does evangelism? What does it look like? Does it mean people go out with a gospel tract? Does it mean that people go out with one of those fake hundred dollar bills that you live leave as a tip? On the on the one side, you know, it has the gospel on it, and your waiter's going, "What? what? Are you serious?" Please, if you give those out, stop. You're not drawing anybody to Jesus. Or you see a sign on a church that says, Sinners welcome! Oh yeah, that's going to draw them in. Woo, you're attractional now. Oh, well, I'm a sinner, I better go in there, I'm going to be welcomed. It's crazy the things that we do, but here's the deal. Rick Warren made it very simple, made it very clear. He just said this, write down... Write down what it is you, you you like to do and that you're good at. Then do that with non-believers. Oh, now there's an approach to evangelism. What do you like to do? That's moral. Don't go crazy. What do you like to do? What do you do out in the community? What do you do? Some of you like to hunt. Why not? Find somebody who's not a believer and go hunting with them. You like football games? You like to go to games? Why not invite somebody you know that's not a believer and say, hey, let's go to the game together. Let's go hang out. I Went to a Creed concert two years ago. Man, it was loud. I was on the floor at a Creed concert going. I mean, I'm standing there watching the Looking around going, this is, how, how did I get here? This is weird. And I'm looking around going, looking at all these people. And I'm like, I'm right where I need to be right now in this moment. And so me and Annette are standing there. We went with this couple that were non And we we're trying to do life with them, just trying to hang out. They wanted to go to a concert. We went to a concert. And so we just started praying for everybody around us, starting with a little concentric circle and Annette standing there. And I said, well, let's pray for these guys. Let's pray for these. And we just started praying for people. Nothing fancy. Lord, bless them. Lord, protect that one. That that dude's obviously flying. Protect, protect, protect. Protect people on the road. I mean, share what you know. Write down what you love to do most. Then go do it with unbelievers. Whatever you love to do, turn it into an outreach. See, we've got to be careful when we talk about discipleship that we only talk about half of the equation. The other half of the equation is this you've been commissioned to go make disciples. You can only make disciples if you make converts. You have to bring people to Jesus. Fishers of men, I am a disciple. I am a follower of Jesus. Let me give you this definition real quick. In the Hebrew, the word is talmidim, and it literally means this. This word stresses the relationship between rabbi, teacher or master, and disciple, student. A talmid of Jesus' day, a disciple of Jesus' day, would give up his entire life in order to be with his teacher. The disciple did not only seek to know what the teacher knew. This is critical. As is usually the case today. We may we may listen to a preacher on the radio or a podcast or whatever, and, and and we're getting some information, and that's good. That doesn't make you a disciple. Because you're just getting information there. Now look what it says. As is the case today. It was not enough just to know what the rabbi said. And we are in a culture here where it's all about what people say. We don't care about... I don't know the character of a lot of people I listen to. I get a tidbit from them here. I hear their message. I hear their sermon. I, I, get, a, I get a little bit of, the, I, get, I hear their tweets and go, well, it kind of gives me a clue into what they're like, what they prefer. You know, I may draw a conclusion or a picture. It may or may not be accurate because I don't know them. It was not enough just to know what the rabbi said, but the foremost goal of any Talmud, a disciple, was to become like the rabbi and do what the rabbi did. There's the key. You are a disciple of Jesus. And in the tradition of the disciple rabbi, it is our responsibility to simply this, do this lay down our life and say whatever you want, whenever you want it, and wherever you want me to go, I'll go. That might mean cleaning the church. That might mean changing a diaper down the hall. That might mean Going to a Fields of Faith event with our youth as a sponsor. It might mean a million things. But what it does mean is this you will look like Jesus. And when people meet you, they will see something in you that's a lot like him. And let me tell you something that is compelling let me give you the, let me land the plane with this fishers of men number 1 fishers of men here's the first thing you do how do i become a fisher of men what do i do say yes to jesus just say yes to him not maybe or if at the very end randall not maybe or if i need you i'll call you Discipleship begins with non-believers, not with believers. The discipleship process starts with introducing non-believers to the gospel and the person of Jesus. That's where it starts. We have a baseball diamond that we put together. Can you throw that up real quick, Randall? I just want to show this to you. I won't stay long on it. But this this is our discipleship process. We have three components which lead to a fourth, and it's to connect. You have home plate right here. For you baseball fans, Alicia corrected the home plate because some people were whining that it wasn't the right shape. So we took care of you baseball nuts. Not that you're in a good mood today anyway, but anyway. Some of you know where I'm coming from. All right. So you have home plate there, and and we have three components. Connect, grow, serve, and that leads to lead. (laughs) That, that's a natural outgrowth of what we do. But we run and we run. And you might have noticed in our, in our announcements that we had these, these opportunities. Connect for membership. That's four weeks of a membership class, 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock for four weeks. And it's just basics. It's getting the foundation laid, getting the foundation laid. Will that make you a disciple? No, but it will help you. It will set up the opportunity for you to be. And it will get you connected. Then from that moment, you round first. Hopefully you're hitting a double. You're going to second base. You're moving. You're running. And you begin to grow. You begin to develop. You begin to expand. And then there's an opportunity there. And that leads naturally to connect for foundations. Foundations are four weeks, again, 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, of components of basic foundations for a disciple of Jesus. Let me just be real straight. Everybody look at me right here. The goal here is not to grow a church. The goal here is to make disciples. The goal here is not life groups. The goal here is to make disciples. The goal here is not to have an amazing worship team. We do, but that's not the goal. The goal is making disciples. In anything that we do, they simply feed into and support that. But those things are not goals or ends in themselves. And so, as you round second base and you're headed towards third, because the right fielder missed it, it's going to the fence. So now you're you're making your turn, and now you're going to begin to serve. You're involved. You're connected. You're 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 helping. You're doing what you can. It may be coming out to our Veterans Day parade and handing out water, which, by the way, is a blast. If you've never been to one of our Veterans Day parade uh, gatherings, oh, listen. All we're doing is serving. Last year it turned off really cold and they all came in our building. And we spent a couple of hours giving out coffee and snacks and, and, and hot chocolate and water. And just blessing and getting to know people. And, and, and did we get anybody out of that? Did that grow our church? No, but it grew us. And it blessed them. Because the goal is not to grow the church. The goal is to make disciples. And we do that, part of that's through serving, loving people. Then the last, yes, third base there, connect for leadership. And that's all those. You can sign up for any of those on that table right there at the back of the sanctuary. And that naturally leads us into the next component, and that is leadership. So what do I do after I round third? What do I do after I score? Here's what you do. You grab somebody, with, and then you go around the base path again with somebody. And now you're going together with somebody. You're mentoring, coaching, discipling somebody else, and you go around. See, it never stops. This isn't new. We didn't invent this. All we did was take what we believe Jesus has told us to do and be as a church and put it into a form that we could actually remember and see. Because the bottom line is, if we'll make disciples, Jesus will grow the church. And conversely, if we don't make disciples... We won't grow. So the goal is to make disciples. Are you a disciple? Let me finish on this. Number two, what do we do as fishers and men? Well, we've got to spend time daily in the Bible. I know that sounds basic, but that doesn't mean we do it. Spend time in the Word, in the Bible. Jesus used the term abide. He said, if you will abide in me and my words abide in you, you will be my disciples. You will be my disciples Indeed. If you abide in my word, live in is what it means to dwell. Number three, commit to Jesus' bride. Here's the deal. A lot of people love Jesus, but they don't love his bride. Let me tell you, that's a weird relationship. If in the natural, if you have that kind of relationship, those don't last. If your buddy likes you and wants to hang out with you, but doesn't want anything to do with your family, That's not going to last very long. And it is not going to be healthy. And if anything, they're going to draw you away from your family, and they're going to cause problems. You love Jesus. You love his bride. Can I get an amen? Number four, share what you know. This is where Rick Warren, I love this, write down what you love to do most, then go do it with unbelievers. Whatever you do, whatever you love to do, turn it into an outreach. That's it. It's not that hard It only gets complicated when we start overthinking it. Can I get an amen? Number five. This may be the most important one in here. They're all important. Be you. I cannot say this strongly enough. Be you. There is nothing more personally debilitating to an individual than to try to be somebody they're not and run in a lane that God hasn't called them to run in. It is debilitating. Be you. Burn at the wattage God has called you to burn. One well, the best pieces of advice Pastor Kevin York gave me was, Jimmy, figure out what wattage God created you to burn at, and then burn at that wattage. Because if you try to burn at a higher wattage, you will burn out. You will burn up. And if you try to burn at a lower wattage, it won't work properly. You were designed to burn at a certain wattage, find out what that wattage is and burn. Be yourself. Turn to your neighbor and say, just be you. Be your sanctified self. Can we pray?